Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gifts Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Our fall mentoring programs are in full swing at Hope Choice, so be sure to visit HopeChoice.com for the latest info and to get your child signed up today. We'd also like to invite you to attend one of our upcoming events. Our Lead On College Retreat on November 8th through 10th, College Station Mother-Daughter Retreat November 15th and 16th, and our College Station Parenting Retreat on November 17th. For more information about these events and for other resources, visit CandyGibbs.com. I want to give you just a little bit of sort of an introduction. Um, If you would be willing to look up a couple scriptures for me, um, would you raise your hand? All right, you're going to be Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, and I've got one more, Jeremiah 3, 33. Let me make sure it's not 33, 33, 3, sorry, Paige, yeah. All right, um, one of my very favorite scriptures in all of the word is Jeremiah 1, 12, and it says this, Then said the Lord to me, You have seen well. For I am alert and active, watching over my word to perform it. And as we look through some of these Old Testament scriptures, and um, it was really communicated to Moses the way that uh, the Lord wanted these different feasts to be observed all those many years ago, really before time ever began, God laid out... um, these appointed times. The, the word for um, feast in the Hebrew means appointed time. There are seven, what we call the feasts of the Lord, seven different times throughout every year that a really precious way to look at it is the Lord wrote our name on his calendar. And he gave us details of what he wants us to focus on and experience during each one of these different appointed times. He set all of this into motion through his word. And that scripture in Jeremiah says that the Lord is actively watching over the things that he said to make sure that he performs them. Um, Everything in God's word is profitable. And I was raised in a, in a tradition where I learned the Bible growing up. Like I am so very thankful that I was a part of the denomination that I was a part of because I learned scripture and I learned the Old Testament and all of those great Bible stories. But there were certain parts of the word that the denomination I was raised in was uncomfortable with. So because it made me a little bit uncomfortable, we just didn't talk about it. And it was in there, but we didn't really know what to do with it. So we just kind of deemed it as, "Eh, we don't really know, seems a little bit weird, so skip over that. And I just want you to know that every scripture, every story, every example that the Lord gives us in his word is for our benefit. So none of it should be something that we're intimidated to tackle or afraid to read about and study and just ask him to reveal to you uh, the different things in his word. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 
All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. Um, Something else that I think is amazing is that God tells us exact precision on different things in his word and he uses symbolism and he says if you just look at creation you'll see me it is like every avenue that the lord could possibly use to communicate to us hey this is who i am this is how i operate i want to have relationship with you he says it through science he says it through art he says it through his creative ability through relationship He is screaming at the top of his lungs, this is who I am, and I want to have a relationship with you. And you're going to see that in the study of these different feasts. Have you guys ever seen the statue, the David, that Michelangelo uh, did? Do you know the story kind of behind that? I want to read you just a little bit of it, and it says this. The block of marble that became one of history's most famous masterpieces proves the old cliche about one man's trash being another's treasure. Michelangelo created David from a piece of marble that had been twice discarded by other sculptures. Um, The first man that took on this piece of marble gave up on the project after using the block. He said it sat untouched for 10 years. At that point, another artist took a crack at the block, but decided it was too much of a pain to work with. And then when Michelangelo finally got his hands on it, the marble had been waiting for 40 years for someone who was up to the challenge. And I wonder sometimes if we feel like that block of marble, like somebody's really going to have to be up to the challenge. Maybe even I feel like I've kind of been set aside. People just kind of don't know what to do with me. Um, And then came along the perfect artist to create an incredible masterpiece. What Michelangelo said about that block of marble is, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to you away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. And I think that's the way that the Lord sees us. He sees you as the completed, redeemed, incredible, lovely masterpiece. And he is just working with us until he can hew away those rough spaces, those places, and and allow other people to see us the way that he truly does. And I believe that he uses these feasts in quite the same way. He is trying to create for us the opportunity to see Jesus the way that he sees him. Um. I am definitely, definitely not the expert on these feasts. And so I want you to be sure you raise your hand, make comments and suggestions. Mike, my friend over here, uh, I've asked him to keep me accurate in the things that I'm saying. Um, But I hope that by the end of this 
evening that you will have a greater understanding of the beauty uh, and just this incredible masterpiece that the Lord paints of Jesus. Um, we use symbolism in our lives every day. Jesus certainly, all throughout his word, um, he used symbolism and parables and stories and word pictures to help us understand. But one of the things that we do currently in our society that has lots of symbolism is a, is a, is a wedding. So you guys know there are different things that are kind of customary in our weddings. One is a white wedding gown. What does, what does that symbolize to us? Purity. Purity. And then our wedding rings, you've probably heard that, and that symbolizes what? Commitment and unfailing love, right? It never ends. It goes on forever. What about the flower girl? Do y'all know what that is symbolic of? It's the, the young girl that you once were. That's why we have a flower girl. And then the unity candle, or now sometimes people are using sand and different things. It's basically the two becoming one. So we have symbolism in our wedding ceremonies, but you will be blown away by all of this symbolism that is a part of a Jewish wedding. So I want to talk just a little bit about that. So traditionally, in a Jewish family, um, the groom-to-be would go to the father of the bride, and they would communicate about a bride price, and they would agree uh, me, as the young woman's dad, I'm willing to receive this as your price to purchase my daughter as your bride. And they agree on a covenant. Um, then the young man would go to his betrothed. Uh, she's not betrothed yet, but he's going to go to her and propose. And the way that he proposes is not getting down on one knee, but the groom would offer his chosen a glass or a cup of wine. Um, she would receive the proposal by receiving the cup of wine. And then once that had been set, she's accepted, I proposed, I offered you the cup, she receives the cup, then the young man is going to go away and prepare a home for her. And he's going to get things in order and uh, make a home. And um, he is also, before he goes to do that, he's going to leave with his betrothed um, gifts for his bride. And these gifts are to communicate his commitment to her but also to help her remember him because he's about to be busy getting ready for the wedding day and preparing a place. So he would give her gifts for the bride to communicate commitment and to, to help her remember him. Following that would be a mikvah or a cleansing bath. And then off that, that groom-to-be would go to prepare a place to take his bride. And only the father of that groom knows when uh, the wedding will take place because it is the groom's father who decides, you know what, son? You have done a great job. This home is ready. I think you are ready to go and take your bride. 
the bride during this time, while the husband is away and he's preparing the home, she's preparing herself because she doesn't know when the actual wedding day is going to take place. So she has got to prepare herself and make sure that she maintains her purity and she's ready to receive that groom when he comes. So once the, the groom's dad approves of the home that he has prepared, then that groom's dad will say, okay, son, it's time to go and get your bride. Well, then there is a person, we get our, uh, what do you call the best man? We get our best man uh, from this guy. He's called the friend of the bridegroom. And in old Jewish tradition, the friend of the bridegroom would run down the street and he would say, the bridegroom is coming. And that bride who has been preparing herself and waiting on her groom has to gather all of her things and run into the street to meet her groom. Um, once they are married, uh, the two will enter into seven days together in the wedding chamber. And they are tucked away in their wedding chamber for seven days. Oftentimes, there's still all of this celebration of people outside waiting for them to come out of their seven days of building intimacy together. Um, that's one of the reasons you know the story of Jesus' first miracle where he turns the water to wine. Uh, weddings didn't just last one evening. Those people didn't just drink up all the wine in a couple of hours, right? This is days long. This is a huge celebration for the whole community. So the bride and the groom are in this wedding chamber for seven days. And at the end of that seven days, they come out. And that is when they have their marriage supper. And that is when guests are invited and they have the big celebration. So even in a Jewish wedding, the Lord is communicating to us our relationship with his son, Jesus. And some of those parallels are really, really easy for us to see. Because Jesus did come and he communicated his bride price, what he was willing to pay for his bride, who is us, the church, right? And he said, I'll give everything. I will live a perfect life and I will give my life for this bride, my church. And once that was agreed upon, then he offers us the cup, which in the Lord's Supper, when you receive the cup, it truly is an opportunity for us to realize that Jesus is saying, I see you as valuable. I have paid the ultimate price for you. You are my pure and spotless bride. And I want you to receive me. And when you receive that cup, it is you saying, thank you that you see me as valuable. Thank you that you call me your bride and I receive your proposal, God. Make me different, make me new, make me look like you. Well, once that has been decided and we have received Jesus, then he gave us gifts 
as his bride. And you'll remember when Jesus ascended, he said, these things I leave with you. Do you remember what they were? It was two things. My spirit and peace. I leave you my spirit and I give you my peace. And those gifts communicate his commitment. Hey, I know what we've arranged here. I have paid the price. I'm now going to go prepare this place for you. And I'm giving you these gifts so that you will understand I have not forgotten our commitment. I don't want you to forget our commitment. And I want you to remember me. And I want you to think of me while I am gone preparing this place. And so he gave us his Holy Spirit. And you know that the word tells us that he gives us power. He gives us peace. He is our counselor. He is our teacher. He is with us in place of Jesus while Jesus is gone uh, to prepare the place. So then now Jesus uh, is preparing the wedding chamber. And you, you know the scripture where Jesus says, only my father knows the day and the hour when he's going to be allowed to come and receive us as his bride. Only God, as the father of the bridegroom, knows when he's going to say, hey, son, I think it's time for you to go and get your bride. And while he is away preparing this place for us, we as the bride are to be preparing ourselves. Thus, we have the story of the ten virgins who we're supposed to be looking more and more like the bride of Christ and preparing our hearts uh, for when he comes. And then the friend of the bridegroom is the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I have thought this for many, many years and I think it uh, more often and more loudly, the Holy Spirit in our hearts is saying, the bridegroom is coming and it isn't going to be long. And there is anticipation of an incredible uh, joining together of, of the bride with the bridegroom. So the, the Holy Spirit would be uh, the friend of the bridegroom. And then seven days in the wedding chamber. So when the rapture occurs and we go and are, uh, we meet Jesus in the air, we're going to have seven days, uh, seven years of tribulation happening here while we are having our seven days in uh, the bridal chamber with our group, building intimacy, learning about each other, celebrating uh, this incredible relationship that we have. And then at the end of the tribulation is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's when the guests are invited. And that'll be everyone that accepts Jesus during that tribulation time. They will then join us for the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of that seven days or seven years. Um, have y'all heard all of that before? Have you ever thought about um, just the beauty and the romance of that. And every opportunity that the Lord has, He is communicating value, relationship, commitment uh, to us. 
and we are currently in the stage of being that bride in waiting and preparing ourselves uh, to receive our bridegroom. So symbolism is a part um, of just almost every, um, certainly every feast, but it is a very important part and a very uh, powerful way that the Lord communicates with us. Okay, who uh, had Proverbs 2, 1 through 5? If you'll read that. I stand up. There aren't that many of us. Yeah. So, my God, if you receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her, her as wisdom, as silver, and search for her as hidden treasures, and you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So that's what we're doing. We're asking the Lord to give us wisdom and to help us see him in a new way. And then Paige has uh, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I don't know how many of you pray that every day, but I do. Like, oh, Lord Jesus, I don't know, and I need you to teach me and make me a lot smarter than I am. And I love that his word tells us when we seek wisdom, he gives it. He gives it liberally, and he gives it to everybody that asks. So today, that's what we're asking, that he would give us wisdom and understanding as we dive into these feasts. Thanks for listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.